Love podcasts? You'll love Podcast Magazine, taking readers into the lives of today's leading podcasters and beyond the microphone of the shows fans love. Each month, Podcast Magazine's dedicated writers share personal interviews, industry happenings, exclusive categorical charts, and independent ratings and reviews of under-the-radar shows. If you listen to podcasts, subscribe now at podcastmagazine.com and grab a free lifetime subscription while you can. That's podcastmagazine.com. On today's episode of Reinvention Radio. So we are, uh, we basically help enable people who desire to start a nonprofit. Uh, lawyers are not a good solution. They're expensive and often, you know, you run out of retainer before you get into the end zone. This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the awesome Richie Ote. Hello, how are you, Richie Ote? Doing great, Steve. Going on? All right, all right, all right. And uh, Mary Goulet is off doing her beekeeping of the world. Um, evidently, I didn't know she was doing this, but um, she's harvesting bees now at her at her home. And um, maybe she's going to have honey or something as a as a second career there. Who knew? Um, and so hopefully uh, Mary will be safe and sound and there will be no murder hornets being attracted over to that to that world. And uh, and we'll see her with a nice jar of honey next time we uh, we all hang out. And uh, and lots of interesting stuff going on in the world before we bring in our on our guest today, and uh, lots to talk about uh, with him for sure. Uh, in the meantime, here, you know, it's funny. So um, so there's there's this there's this joke, and for those of you um, who who don't know my ethnicity or background or whatever I am, uh, I am a Polish and Russian Jew. So I consider that I don't consider Jewish to be an ethnicity. There are people who do, but I am Polish and Russian. But my religion, I was raised Jewish. And so, in um, in the there's a there's an old joke about uh, a group of uh, of Jewish women who go out for dinner, and they're they're going out for dinner, and the waiter comes over and. You know, just there's there's a whole bunch of, of of questions about what's in this meal and what's in that meal, and I need this on my plate, and I you know I can't have this on my plate, and if this is touching this, I won't eat it. If this is here, I'll send it back. I want to do this, I want to do that, this, that, and the other. And needless to say, after you know about twenty thirty minutes of of trying to take care of this table, the waiter finally, who's pretty much fed up of everything that's been been going on, comes back to the table and just simply asks the group is anything okay? You know, like, as opposed to is everything okay? Just like, is anything okay? Right? So, so I, I say that in, in jest because number one, it's my wife loves that joke. And she actually sent me an email today with, uh, with the subject line that says, is anything okay? Question mark. Because the email that she sent to me was about how there was an earthquake that um, just hit in LA and felt a little bit in San Diego, which is where we are. But basically, the note was like, you should have a month's worth of food and water available to you at your home. So make sure you have a, a, a supply of a month's worth of food and water at your home. And it's just like, good Lord, you know, like, and honestly, it, it would not surprise me in the least 
if the big one that we've been quote unquote waiting for um, in Southern California took place in, in 2020, like w- that would make sense to me. I, I, like, is anything okay, Rich? <laughs> We're going to have a hell of a hindsight this year, huh? Oh my God. No. You know, and, and in the, in, in the meantime, you're starting to see uh, the, the, the stock market just absolutely rally and reaching all time highs. And it's just like, we, we clearly are living in parallel universes. Like the, what, what, I, what I believe we're seeing more so than anything else, and part of why it's been difficult for me to, to really talk about what's been going on here over the last week is because I, I am actually more convinced that what we're looking at here is a class war. Yes, there are issues clearly as far as race relations are concerned. But when you come right down to it, when you, when you look at the, the, the Black and the Hispanic communities and how those communities were impacted by COVID in, in, in a disproportionate manner to how white communities and even Asian communities were impacted by COVID. You sit there and you kind of scratch your head and you go, well, that's really unfair. So not only were they getting sick at higher at a higher percentage of the population, they were dying at a, at a higher percentage of the average population. And when you look at where the majority of the job losses come from, and <clears throat> I don't know, are we, I haven't seen the recent number yet, but I, I thought it was around 30 million. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an it's astronomical number. And Christian, feel free to come on when you're ready. Um, but it's an astronomical number. And it, it's certainly over 20 million. I thought it was closer to 30, whatever it might be, doesn't matter. The bottom line is if you look at where the, those job losses really hit, those job losses predominantly hit in the lower income communities, right? It was the, over over forty percent were families making less than forty thousand a year. Yeah, which is poverty line for the most part, right? I mean, it's just no matter how you slice, it's darn near the poverty poverty line. And so, so now you have the the COVID, and you have all the the crap that's going on there in terms of people getting sick and people. You know, dying from this from this disease and the pandemic you have the the communities where they're being really hard hit being impacted from on 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 a monetary level as well in terms of job loss in terms of keeping lights on food on the table etc etc and it's like you have this tinder box and you put a match to it and things ignite and when you look at where a lot of the destruction took place, like Fairfax Avenue in Los Angeles is a perfect example. So are you familiar with Fairfax in LA, Richie, or, or, or Christian, we'll bring you on here in a minute. Are you guys familiar with Fairfax? Yes. The Fairfax district? No, we're not. Okay. okay. So, so the Fairfax district in, in LA is kind of, um, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't look like anything glamorous, right? It doesn't look like Rodeo Drive. It doesn't look like Santa Monica. It just doesn't look, very glamorous. 
but the stores that are there on in this Fairfax district are a lot of these sneaker type stores where you have these sneaker heads who are paying a thousand bucks for a pair of shoes. Um, Supreme, as an example, their their store in LA is in the Fairfax district and so on. And, and for those of you unfamiliar, not familiar with Supreme, um, what Supreme does is they basically put their red and white rectangular logo on things and they sell them for astronomical prices like a supreme hammer would be like $500 a supreme t-shirt would be like $350 a supreme um, chainsaw would be like $1,500 like just insane just because yeah, like, it has where know. my son where my son will spend his chipotle paycheck on one of their items exactly exactly and so when you saw a lot of the looting and, and a lot of the stuff that went on in LA much of it was was centered in that district. Now there were there was obviously damage to, to other places and so on. But it's just really interesting to me that that particular that stretch got hammered as hard as it did, because you create this environment where a lot of the influencers who say, "Hey, this is what you should do. This is how you should live. This is what you should have," etc. A lot of those people grew up without any money, right? And then they you know became rap stars they became ball players they became this that and the other and suddenly they had a lot of money and they would then go out and they would buy some of these gucci type louis vuitton type brand name things and today you know gucci and louis vuitton is is pretty much passe for the younger generation it's more like supreme and whatnot and golf and so on those are the brands for the millennials and for younger uh younger kids in terms of like that's the status symbol of choice right and when you look at what happened in so many of the cities, like in Chicago, they, they, they hammered State Street and, and Water Tower and Neiman Marcus and like a lot of those places where the, the have-nots can't shop. They just, they, they can't afford anything there. And so you have like this perfect storm of the sickness, of job loss, of anger and frustration and you see what happens. And so it's just, it's, it's really an interesting period of time right now where we need to do something as it relates to, to the, the haves and the have nots. There is, a, there is a much bigger problem at hand where you're going to see, yes, this, this whole thing with George Floyd was, was kind of the, you know, the, 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 the match that set this tinderbox ablaze. But there, there is a, there's a much bigger problem afoot. Any thoughts on that, Christian Lefer or, uh, or Richie? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> at, the, at the beginning when, this, when, when, when my company was um, just much more getting started, one of our first employees was African-American. Great, very smart guy, uh, friend of the family, son of a friend of the family. And... Um, you know, pretty much grew up in suburban Colorado and had, you know, what, what I would relate to as sort of the default values of suburban America. Um, and, you know, race didn't seem like a thing, uh, but I, I've noticed in conversations with, with him and, and with some uh, things that he's been sharing, there was some suppressed frustration and, and, and experiences that he didn't really share because uh, he wanted to be not about that, right? He just wanted to be like everyone else, and, uh, and, and in many ways, of course, is. Um, but he posted something that really struck me, and I reached out to him, um, 
because he was pretty young when he worked for us. He would say things, he said things in this post like when he uh, did badly on a test in school, the teacher would, you know, just laugh it off with maybe the white kids because they're like, oh, I stayed up late too, too late watching, you know, too late watching video games. But they, they'd go to him and say, you know, are there any problems at home or, you know, is there any, do you need to see the drug counselor or anything like that? And he would say that it was handled differently. And he's like, no, I just stayed up watching video games too late. Uh, he'd get pulled over or he would have to explain why he, you know, he didn't live in a black neighborhood, you know? And so he listed about 20 of these things that would really be heavy and, and feel there'd be sort of a latent oppression to it um, that I never really thought about with him. And I reached out and at least acknowledged uh, that I understood where he was coming from on that stuff. And that I was, you know, just sorry that he had that experience. Mm -hmm. Rich, what um, I, I know I covered a lot of ground there and Christian, we'll talk to, you know, Christian more about what he's up to here in a minute, but just, we can't overlook what's going on. So Rich, what, 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 what do you want to add to that? <sighs> Which piece, Steve? I mean, yeah, I there's, there's so many things and, um, you know, and, and different people take different stances on what some people say it's causation. Some people say it's correlation. Some people like, but there's just, it's so obvious we have a lot of work to do. And I think part of where a lot of the tension lies right now is words are only so much like they're, they're helpful above saying nothing. Mm -hmm. Right, being silent is almost like giving, saying you agree, um, but it's still just words. And so, and, and when it's something like um, being oppressed or being beaten by police or just so many things that we could go down a rabbit hole for each of these things, um, it until there's actually some action that's showing progress, there's going to be a long, long delay. And so sometimes when we don't see instant gratification um, or some, you know, that's partially why I think the riots happen in, in some way, shape or form, right or wrong. Cause I'm, I, I don't even know how to get into that conversation. Um, there, there's some form of release and feel like, well, I have something right now mm -hmm. for all the pain that's been going through. So I, I don't even know. Yeah. There's like 10 things we could talk about there. Yeah. And, and, and it is really interesting because so, so many of the, if you, if you heard some of the interviews with, you know, you caught some of the videos, I wouldn't even call them interviews, but you just caught, you know, it's obviously with now with everybody, everybody's a freaking reporter, right? I mean, so everybody's got their phone and they can be, you know, the, you know, the journalist on the street when you hear what a lot of the, the, the rioters and those that were actively involved in, in looting and they did stop for a second to say something, you just really got a sense that they have nothing to lose. You know, like literally how much, you know, how much farther down can I go? You know, someone who I love just died of this COVID. I don't have any stock. So that, you know, that doesn't mean anything to me. The, the freaking minimum wage crap job that I had just got, you know, got, got taken away from me. I've got no savings, right? I mean, you look at the people who historically in America uh, have savings. I mean, it's just such a, such a small percentage of the population. And it's like, well, what else do I have to lose? Like, really, you know, I, I literally have nothing else to lose. And so, 
it's it's an interesting time to you know to segue into our into our conversation here with with Christian and and Christian's Lefer, correct? I just want to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Christian Lefer, yeah. Yeah. And so and so Christian, your your work is is very interesting, very needed, very important right now, especially um, because you you do so much work in this nonprofit space, and it and it seems like uh, if there was ever a time to create a, sort of a, a give back initiative or some sort of support based initiative, where you know, and Richie and I had just spoken about this on our past episode of Beyond Eight Figures, where it's a really scary time for anyone to take a stand because it's almost like if you say you're not a racist, you're a racist. Why else would you have to say you're not a racist? It's like, if you have to tell me you're not a racist, you probably are. You know what I'm saying? And then, so it's, you get stuck between this rock and this hard place, but people want to do something. Yeah. And it's clear that people want to help. And even those who want to go and, you know, like I, I took pause about taking my wife and, and our two boys, 16 and 13, to a protest, we we want to go, but at the same token, it's like I I have to I have to be very aware of the potential for my my kids who, who do not have the ability to protect themselves in the same way that I do, or that my you know my wife doesn't have the same ability to protect herself in the way that I do. There is the rare the very real possibility that it could go south very quickly, as you've seen in so many cities. So, so now what? So now you're not standing up. So, so what do you do, right? And so the point being, your expertise in, in helping people create these initiatives, can you give us an example of some of the nonprofits that you've seen that, that do that sort of beneficial work and why having a nonprofit is, is potentially a, a, a right outlet for some, uh, especially now? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I kind of came into the middle of this conversation. Uh, so definitely not, uh, the, 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 the usual, um, you know, want to introduce yourself. Um, so no, we don't right need you in. to introduce yourself. Just jump in, Christian. Come on. We, we don't need the backstory. Jump no, in. No, Let's no, go. No. It's just, it's, uh, you know, you've got your, you've got your points and stuff. This is extremely important and I'm, I'm glad this, this did start out this way. Um, for whatever reason, and I've always taken it as an extremely positive thing, we've, we've had a significant number of African-American um, customers uh, and, and minority customers. And I think that is a good thing. And the reason is you sitting where you are and me sitting where I am, regardless of coming from you know, lower middle class or whatever, we can't solve the problems and government. I mean, we've been fighting poverty and spent how much money, you know, cutting checks and affirmative action clearly had issues. This stuff from the outside doesn't work. So the fact that people have been signing up with us and creating a nonprofit, looking for that solution so that they can heal their own community from within. And, you know, of course, I remember the ones I have affinity for after doing thousands of these and advising through whatever podcast, you know, the online videos, hundreds of thousands of people. <clears throat> um, the father's initiatives that, that come out, I mean, you have a massive, I mean, all of, you know, the divorce rate at 50%, everybody's experiences. My parents were divorced at five. But when you have uh, an entire population, uh, you know, where the vast majority of fathers are not in the home. And I see people coming in saying, 
I am a coach. I have a family. I'm an African-American man who wants to contribute positively to my community. We've done, you know, dozens of fathers organizations. Um, we have had a huge influx prior to the times we're in right now, prior to this George Floyd situation with African-American uh, women sharing our, our, our posts and uh, some of our, you know, sort of innate nonprofit enablement, um, I like to call them, you know, tools. Uh, huge influx of, of leads uh, from, you know, in, in that demographic. Um, and of course, we, we cut across, you know, the, we, we get corporate sponsored uh, or, or exited entrepreneurs, very successful people uh, who have a lot of money all the way to, to the, the, the wrestling coach in Mississippi raising money for mats and, and, you know, limited PTAs, little leagues. But what interests me the most, I think, are the social, the ones that are out to build a social network and a social fabric in a place that desperately needs it. And whether that's Appalachia or, um, uh, you know, New Orleans uh, and, and a lot of the South, there are organizations we've been starting lately um, to help people whose family members are incarcerated. Uh, that is a huge issue in African American community, and the fatherlessness is is also a huge issue. And so, um, I get really excited, and we're having the internal conversation in the company right now. What can we do that would uniquely help, you know, um, these people who are starting those types of organizations to be successful? So that's mm -hmm. kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, um, Rich, let me let me give you an opportunity here because. You, you know how I am with the mic. So let me, let me give you an opportunity to jump in here with Christian and instant nonprofits. Yeah, I, I actually, um, because we didn't get to do this traditional introduction and I do think it was good the way it got started anyway, I would like to know just a, a little bit more about just instant nonprofits and, and what exactly are the tools that you help people with? Because there's probably a lot of people sitting there right now thinking, I want to do something. And this, this might be a perfect opportunity to, to, to do something like you're, like you're working with. So what, what are the tools? And can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, are, uh, we basically help enable people who desire to start a nonprofit. Uh, lawyers are not a good solution. They're expensive. And often, you know, you run out of retainer before you get into the end zone. And so someone can start uh, with our service and go from idea to IRS approved tax exempt 501c3 nonprofit in under an hour of work for them. And this is well known to be a really difficult process uh, for a third of the cost of an attorney, if that, and never talk to a government agent or a bureaucrat, right? It's a done for you service so that they can focus on the one thing that they should be focused on and that is the mission that only they can see. And with, they have their unique uh, experience and perspective to solve a problem in their community. Uh, almost all of our nonprofits, like most, really like most businesses, uh, they come from deep somewhere in, the, in, in somebody's heart where they ran into a problem they were unable to solve alone, whether it was as a child or as an adult. They see a problem and they go, you know, somebody's got to do something about this. And in fact, that's how I started this company is, um, you know, I won't tell the whole story about my sister, but my sister is developmentally disabled. And um, I had experience, little did I know as a kid, right? Special Olympics is a nonprofit. 
And so I, you know, fast forward and, and I did my, my first uh, 501c3 application with some friends for a project. And I just became disgusted and morally outraged at how difficult it is to do good compared to like starting a used car lot. Mm-hmm. And um, people, so, so that's, our, that's our service in a nutshell. And then of course, you know, we are selling something that enables people to get the entity, but it, that isn't really what's gonna help them be successful. So we've moved more and more into giving them tools to know how to run a board meeting in 30 minutes or less instead of three hours or fundraise or set up all the wonderful free tools there are with Google Docs and all that kind of stuff for a backbone, a website, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a free resource that I'll roll out uh, later in this podcast or whenever I'm asked about where people can go and learn about all of those things that they can do from A to Z to build out their nonprofit and, and really be, stay focused on that mission by sort of hacking some of these processes and, and getting, you know, getting what needs yeah. to be done, done. Yeah. So what, what in your mind makes for a good nonprofit? Like what, what, what are the, if, if there are specific goals or, or, or defined initiative or uh, I'm trying to understand like how, cause you've seen enough of these to know like what some of the pitfalls are and, and what makes sense in terms of it, it being a nonprofit and, and, and what doesn't make sense for a nonprofit. So can you give us, hopefully, can you give us an understanding of what, of what ideally makes for a, a great nonprofit and it's worth investing whatever, you know, one has to invest to, to create that nonprofit? Absolutely. So there are the activities that a nonprofit is designed to do uniquely. Um, and then there are the incentives for starting a nonprofit. What are the unique advantages that a nonprofit has? And so I'll just cover those two things real quickly, sort of in a bulleted fashion. You can ask me whatever you want to follow on. Um, the activities are anything you would consider generally charitable activities. Those are defined as scientific, educational, uh, bringing community harmony, preventing cruelty to animals, um, uh, protecting children, environmental. So those kinds of things that you would normally associate with a charity are uh, activities that you would consider nonprofit. And mm-hmm. since those things, the, the inherent benefit of, of doing those activities isn't giving someone a product. You're given someone a sense instead, the product, essentially, it is a business. And that's one of the big myths uh, is it is a business. But the product is you are allowing someone to take part in something that's bigger than them. And, and the product is the result that you get with helping in the community. And, you know, as sometimes I say, people, pets, not all animals are pets, but, you know, mm-hmm. helping people, helping, you know, animals uh, or, or helping the planet are the three sort of categories that those all fall into. And then Mm -hmm. there are two major reasons that people start nonprofits and that give a nonprofit an advantage over a for-profit from the donor's perspective and, and, or from, from the overall advantages that they have. One is tax deductibility for donors. If you, Steve, make $60,000 and you give 6,000 of it to you know, 10% of your income to a nonprofit, you'll only be taxed on $54,000, right? So that money sort of gets ex- an extra boost 
and it can lower you, it can even bring you into a lower tax bracket overall. The mm. second thing is it's not taxed on the income that comes into the nonprofit. There's no federal tax. And you can actually take that federal tax exemption. That is what 501c3 is, is an exemption. And you can take that to the state and get relieved of sales taxes and other types of local tax as well. Hmm. And so g- give us an understanding then what... So for someone to go through your, your company and help them get set up in the way that you do, I mean, you know, it's amazing. You get it done in an hour. What, what is the general rule of thumb as far as what the, the costs might be to, to go from start to finish of forming that nonprofit? And then there, there of course, are, I mean, ongoing expenses, right? I mean, you're going to have to provide audited records and and tax returns and right so take us take us through the that financial side of the equation sure as far as the startup costs i'll just ballpark it that out the door with the government fees involved which are incorporation and the irs submittal fee right the filing fee and our services which is you know takes you from idea to guaranteed irs approval um if you are if you project below $50,000 per year, per tax year, in your first three years, so we're halfway through this year, that's almost a gimme, right? By the time you get going, you'd be at less than $50,000 unless you have some ready, you know, some, some and, donors and, waiting. And you're talking about $50,000 in terms of, of funds raised? Revenues into the bank account through okay. either fee for service Maybe you teach people something and there are materials that they need and they attend a seminar for 80 bucks, whether it's fee for service like that or uh, donations, total $50,000. And if you're not sure, we generally advise people go with what we call the express package, which is below 50,000 in your first three years. And I'll tell you why in a second. If you're pretty sure that you'll be above that, you're a well-funded organization, you've got corporate sponsors or a grant writer just waiting to give you the money. And there's gonna be a lot of that with what's going on out there right now. There will be grants mm-hmm. and people will say, I, we want an or, you know, a grant maker with billions or millions will say, we want organizations to do X in these geographies. And so sometimes you can pre, you know, you can lock up some grants ahead of time and then call us, we'll get you done really fast. And, mm-hmm. and you, can, you can have that grant ready. And then you know you're going to have that significant funding. But if you're not sure, you would probably opt for the express package unless you're a school or church. Otherwise, you would be the enterprise package, which is 50,000 per year or above projected. And right. it's essentially, it's about, adds up to about $1,000 uh, for express and about $2,000 for enterprise. And of course, we have higher level packages for people that want more help or want, you know, two, three years of compliance and ongoing mm-hmm. filings paid for ahead of time. So that's the startup cost. And then the yeah. ongoing cost really, again, is also stratified based on how much money are you raising. If you are raising 50000 or below in any given year, um, we do all of the maintenance for that for about 300 to $500 a year. Okay, so that's that's a far cry from what I I feel like that number used to be substantial. Like to to with attorneys and 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 whatnot. Absolutely. Like in the past, what would you what would you have to spend to form a nonprofit if you had attorneys and whatnot 
doing all this in the past, what, what would be that, what would that number typically be? I feel like it's a lot higher than that. Five to $10,000. Um, and you know, I've seen a broad, broad range, but three to $10,000 is typically what we still, uh, as a matter of fact, we have clients who are lawyers and they call us to do that paperwork and then they provide value add. And I'm sure that they are, you know, tripling the, the cost of, of what we do. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the way it used to be because there wasn't anyone like us to, to do this. And while there are certainly others in the marketplace that, um, you know, purport to do things fast and, and easy and, and cost effectively, um, we have a one flat fee price, no hidden anything. And uh, we've definitely, you know, got that entire process down to where this is all we do. We're not trying to do contracts and lots of other things. So we're able to really get this done very quickly and efficiently mm-hmm. and uh, serve at a, at a reasonable price point, very valuable yeah. price point. Yeah. Uh, Rich? Yeah. Yeah. This is, it's so interesting to me because it seems like businesses in general that even sell a physical product, if they're not doing some form of give back, they don't seem to be doing as well either. So the first one that comes to mind is like a Tom shoes or a, a Bobus socks or, or, you know, these, these different companies there's, and there's all kinds of them that are doing it. Um, but you said earlier, it still is a business, right? So you still got to balance books. You still got to do all this. Is, is there something in the type of persona or what would get someone to, to do the nonprofit over doing a traditional business other than the obvious tax advantages and other things like that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of hoops that you got to jump through. So it's just really interesting because with, with, with combined what's going on in the world and all the disruption, this could be, uh, especially like you said, with grants, maybe these people who wanted to get into business maybe they really should be wanting to start a nonprofit. And I, is there something in the persona of the person that you think one is better than the other? Yeah, I would say that um, this is, there's a distribution just like any, any business. Right. And so um, I think people who start companies and, and, you know, LLCs, corporations, even solopreneurs, right. And they, Steve, you run into people all the time. Um, who really don't know what they're doing. And they're like, I want to start my own business. But they're very, they're, they realize that they have a serious business understanding uh, or lack of understanding. And they're, they're oriented toward doing business and then learning that. What we find with, with our, our customer base is many of the people who are, are the, the widest part of the, the, you know, the base of our, of our uh, foundation, uh, are very heart-centered people. They don't at all know how to run a business. Um, they, they've never set up books. They don't know how to run a board meeting. You know, Robert's mm-hmm. Rules is a foreign thing, not that business owners go around being Robert's Rules experts, but, you know, um, the fundamental building blocks of the business end of things is where they lack. What they do know is that they served in a ministry with their church, and they went to Haiti, and they were just absolutely shocked that their lily, you know, uh, uh, picket fence life 
uh, is, is somehow so grossly at, at variance with what most of the people in this world experience, you know, they have a new calling on life. And so they say, okay, you know, I have no idea, or, or they're in the inner city, they have, they've never, never run a business, and so they don't know how to do a P&L or anything. And um, the majority of our customers are, are uh, in, that, in that condition. Of course, you know, we love when an experienced entrepreneur comes along because they go, okay, I know how the business part works. Now I need to go out and connect to, you know, people because I think there's an important mission that we can serve. Um, so I, we do see a pretty, uh, you know, there's, there's a valley in between those two types of people. And so, um, we certainly want to serve people who, uh, are, are adept at, at conducting business, but also, you know, my heart, my heart really is, is connected to the people who have no idea what they're doing and sort of jump in the pool anyway, um, and then need to learn all of those things. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's uh, so what, that's an important distinction i think that's how that's one way we can serve these underserved communities is to understand mm-hmm. where their deficits lie and help them build that base of knowledge so that they can keep the thing running once they start it because we make it really easy anybody can come up with a thousand dollars it's how do you manage to serve people and keep the book straight and get the website up and running and all that kind of stuff is, is that what the three to five hundred a year is for the, the ongoing help with that or? No, that's, when I quote any of our prices, that's purely for filing, you know, documents, getting the tax exempt status, incorporating, getting the EIN. We provide a great corporate governance documents package and we train people on how to use that. We train people on how to run the board meeting. And then the annual maintenance is for the filings to kind of keep the corporation alive. Um, okay. We're right now we are we're developing some information products that will teach people from the very you know baby's milk spoon fed you know 101 level to how to raise some pretty high dollars with a small list which is some of my background um, and again every, all of this is fairly simple it's just not easy but if you break it down anybody can learn this and everybody who has a heart to help other people really should because um, when we make it this easy to start a nonprofit, uh, you go out and talk to your friends right now and bring up any relevant cause. And most people, even if they're just earning a paycheck and they're living paycheck to paycheck, they want to contribute to this world because we can all see that we need it. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's do this. Any, any final thoughts, Christian, as far as the world of nonprofits are concerned and, and, and what you would suggest in terms of, you know, mistakes people make insofar as nonprofits are concerned or just anything else that you want to kind of put a bow on this with? Yeah, there's so much that, that we could cover. Um, and so we have uh, a great gift and a, uh, a, boot, a boot camp that we can you know, people can access. So if you just go to instantonprofit.com slash podcast fan, um, we have a 10 day boot camp and we have a roll up of how to start a nonprofit. And it's got all of the web, start the website, you know, create the, create the uh, board documents and all those kinds of things. So that is where somebody can kind of self qualify. Where am I in the five stages of the nonprofit? So, so they get a sort of you are here orientation and then they can walk through those steps and decide if it's for them, set up a call with us and we're happy to help people flesh out their ideas and, and get some ideas in action. Yeah, awesome. All right, one more time, the website, just wanna make sure that people get that for the, for the free resource. 
instantnonprofit.com slash podcast fan. There you go. All right, Christian, we're going to let you jump and Richie and I will uh, we'll wrap up here, man, but appreciate all the work that you're doing in the world, making Thanks. it really easy for folks to, to launch these nonprofits and uh, just, just keep up the amazing work and uh, we'll talk really soon. All righty, Richie, let's uh, let us go ahead here and, uh, and wrap up and just want to, first of all, just acknowledge you for, um, you know, for being, being uh, a, a voice of, of, of reason and inspiration during these challenging times. And, uh, you know, just acknowledge you and the, the leadership role that you play um, in, in your own way, man. So thank you for that. And um, man, I tell you, it's, it, it does beg the question, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, will, will perhaps the right set of nonprofits help get, folks out of this hole and into into something better you know i mean the the bottom line is i i don't see a dramatic change happening unless people get our our help and when i say our help i mean those who have the ability to to help those who at this point are are having difficulties helping themselves mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting you worded it in that way. It almost feels like the combination of the two interviews today, when we got to the second half of Beyond Eight Figures there, he was talking about, you know, being an inside out job. And then here we are talking about this and talking about most of the healing seems to come from the inside. Yeah. This might be a great happy medium where you can get some funding from the outside to help heal from the inside. Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought about it, it was like right when we said goodbye, so I'll have to email them or something. But I thought about, um, you know, just in that phrase, nonprofit, I wonder sometimes, um, and I know we, we interviewed someone, I don't know what, You're we interviewed someone a while back. It was like for a for benefit. For benefit. Yeah. yeah because, yeah. um, I wonder how many people that would love to do something think that, you know, am I, do I have to be independently wealthy before I start a nonprofit? Right? Like, can they still make a living? Right? Can someone, now we know at the big levels, there's obviously some people running nonprofits that are making lots of money. Um, But just someone who really wants to help heal a community can they still make a living in there and juggling that? Right. There's an ongoing conversation. It had been way too long and I didn't think about yeah. it until after, but yeah, it's, it's something that, cause if someone could still pay their bills and, and, and do well while still doing good, like, that's well, fantastic. I mean, come on, we can, we can look at a lot of the nonprofit corporations and it's been an oxymoron for a long time where there are those, you know, and, and frankly, a lot of those nonprofits have gotten a ton of backlash because you, you have, these CEOs of nonprofits and I'm using air quotes here and you're listening to the podcast. You can't see the quotes. If you're on video, you can see the quotes, you know, nonprofit with air quotes. You see these CEOs and board members and whatnot. I mean, you got people making seven figures plus running these nonprofits. Some of them doing, you know, I mean, I'm not going to name names here, but you've, you've seen it historically where it's like, wait a minute, this is a nonprofit. Why are you getting paid? You know, those sort of numbers. And, And the truth is to run an effective nonprofit, 
it takes a, a pretty meaningful skill set, especially a nonprofit like a Doctors Without Borders or, you know, an American Red Cross or, you know, whatever it might be where you have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, of people across the globe fulfilling the, the promise of that organization. You, you have to have talented people running that nonprofit, right? So oftentimes you see people being compensated at, uh, at levels that are commensurate with what you see in the for-profit world. And so, you know, there's kind of the old joke of, you know, it's called a nonprofit because at the end of the year, we don't want to show any profit. It doesn't mean that there isn't money being distributed to the people who have created it or work for it, et cetera. As a matter of fact, as I said, oftentimes there can be some real money distributed to those people. So, so I, do, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive and it's been shown for a long time that they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where it would be interesting if we could have shined a light on that, that you don't, if you're just doing something for a local community, it's almost like small business. Like you can still make money and you can still do good and you're still taking care of your local community. And if enough local communities are doing that, we're going to see good stuff. Yeah. So like yeah, just one, not getting too big. Yeah. And one thing's for sure. I mean, we got to, we have to do something to help. So ultimately if you have the ability to help uh, in whatever way, possible. And I, and I do know that in, in most communities, there are nonprofit type of organizations that are already there trying to do good in, in those communities. So if you're looking for a way to be able to help and to be able to contribute to the solution and not be part of the, the problem, so to speak, uh, look into the nonprofits in your area that serve those who have been impacted by everything that's going on with COVID, everything that's going on here with the, you know, with the riots and, and so on and so forth. What, what you're seeing isn't just simply a, a response to, you know, this, this one event. There, there is a systemic issue here that is not going to be solved in this case from, from the inside out. This, this I do believe is as Richie said, and I agree there, there has to be uh, an outside-in push to, to really getting people on the right track and giving them what they need in order to not just survive, uh, but to, to really thrive and, and take care of those that, that they love and, and to provide a sense of, of hopefulness because the, what you're seeing right now is just so much hopelessness uh, and, and that's just going to continue to escalate until we until we really treat what is going on here at, you know, at, 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 in terms of treating the, the actual problem and not just the symptoms of that problem. So Richie, anything else to add here, my brother, before we, uh, before we wrap? Yeah, there is actually it kind of your comment earlier about aside from just race and COVID and all the other things um, that are obvious that we're looking at, that I think there's something bigger going on when you mentioned the, it's almost more of a class war. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of remind myself and hopefully other people 
that part of the problem, and let's just, whether we want to use the word, um, you know, uh, what, what is it, a distraction or whatever, is we seem so many people trying to make this be like a, a red state, blue state, and look, you know, there's just so many different narratives out there. Yeah. That I would invite people to to really not look at this situation as a us versus them, and but look at it as a we're we're a human race, yeah. and what can we do to help that race, the human race, and knowing that we might have to put the spotlight on some of the races that haven't gotten that help, right? The outside in and inside out. And, yep. and just don't, even though we live in the world of podcasts and we, we love sound bites and all that stuff. And we love being able to, you know, just quote this one thing, like hear people out, hear people out. Mm-hmm. And um, when someone's saying something, that's not exactly what you agree to walk in their moccasins, whatever the phrase you need to do to just, hear it out a little longer and try to reframe from being us versus them and just really see how we can just work together as, as a human race. Yeah. Beautifully said, my friend. And let's end it there. So just really appreciate you, Richie and appreciate all of you. And uh, we'll just continue to, to do the, the best that we can and then potentially do uh, a little bit better. And that's all we can do day by day. Much love to you, Richie. And for Kelly Pelker, Richie Ote, Mary Goulet, and the rest of the team holding it down at Reinvention Radio and Beyond Eight Figures, I am Steve Olsher, and we'll talk to you guys really, really soon. Take care, everybody. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. 